Today's case starts with a tragic murder mystery that shocked Houston, Texas, but soon begins to unfold into a multi-state manhunt for a killer that many in the area already know and love. This is the story of Brandy West, a drag queen turned suspected murderer. Well, howdy there, strangers. I'm Jordy. And I'm Brad. And welcome back to another episode of Beers with Queers, the podcast where I research a case and Brad and potentially you guys here. Know nothing about it. You know nothing going into it. I mean, you may, you may or not, but I don't think he knows going into it. So he's hearing it for the first time. And this actually, though, may be a case you guys haven't heard before, because when I was researching and looking up stuff about it, I actually didn't find a lot of blogs or other podcasts talking about it or covering it. So it was an interesting find to find a case that hasn't been, you know, done a million times over, which there's nothing wrong with. Um, The only exception, I did find one podcast uh, called Wicked Gay, and they did an episode on it, and they're kind of like us, where they cover a lot of gay-related true crime cases, so... Shout out to Wicked Gay. So before we get started, apologies for last week if it bummed you out. You know, last week we covered the Snowtown murders, and it was just a really rough case to talk about. And of course, all true crime cases are rough and hard and tragic. But last week was just very disturbing in all of the details. And that's an understatement. That was just like punch after punch after gut punch, that episode. It was It was rough. But today... We get to talk about drag queens. So, of course, drag queens are icons in their representation of the queer community as a whole, and they're beloved by many. They've really been some of the the front runners to help push queer and drag culture to the mainstream public eye. With, of course, you know, shows like RuPaul's Drag Race and Dragula, which, shout out to both of those shows. I think we're both pretty big fans of it. And, you know, drag has really become mainstream and well-known outside the queer community in the last decade or so. I mean, it's slowly gradually built since, you know, the late 60s and stuff like that. But really in the last 10 years, you've seen it be more accepted. And it's now like the whole general public, even if they're not a part of the community, everyone knows what a drag queen is. And most people, I think, have a favorite drag queen. Even if you've never seen one in person, you've probably seen one online. And uh, do you have a favorite drag queen? I do. It's Jinx Monsoon. Fair. I, d- I do love Jinx Monsoon, and if you haven't, you don't know who Jinx Monsoon is, she's on RuPaul's Drag Race, and she is uh, kind of the whole package, I think, and what my what I think represents a drag queen, you know, funny. And I also have to give a shout out to my buddy Steven, which is Bitch Pudding, that's my other favorite, which I will say Dragula and RuPaul's Drag Race are very different, I feel, and so gotta give a... Uh, Those are my two favorites. Gotta show some love for Bitch Pudding, too. So, yeah, so it's like Drag Race is the more... uh, It is probably the most well-known and mainstream. Dragula is starting to come up since its debut a couple years ago, but it's more of like the horror, grunge, filth aspects of drag. So if you're into that, uh, highly recommend it, too. 
We've come a long way since the days of Stonewall and the gay liberation movement of the late 60s, early 70s. And it makes me happy to see it, of course, and to just see how much queer culture is being embraced by the general public, which as before, as you know, in the 60s and well into the the 80s, drag was still more of the underground scene. And I know I'm talking about this like I was there. I am 25, so I'm not talking from experience or anything like that from just from what I've read and watched about queer culture at the time. You can just tell how much more open and more accepted it is these days. So today we are going to take a trip back to the 1980s and dive into the drag scene in a very small little known town called Houston, Texas, which also another shout out, Alyssa Edwards is from Mesquite, Texas. So we're going to Alyssa Edwards' home state, and I think she's another one of my favorite drag queens. So Now this is before the days of, like we said before, RuPaul's Drag Race or Dragula, which pretty much... Even if you don't win the season, just being on the show kind of catapults you into instant international stardom and recognition and stuff like that. But in the olden days, it took years for queens to build up a reputation and career outside their hometown, let alone around the world. So it was definitely a you know a game of patience, just chipping away at it until you slowly grew bigger and bigger with every pageant or club performance you did. So now before Alyssa Edwards became one of the most well-known and beloved queens from Texas, there was another one before her named Brandy West. Now Brandy quickly made a name for herself in Houston due to her, her extremely outrageous stunts and performances, which we will get into depth later, but just a little hint at one of her performances. It actually features her using a live chainsaw on stage. So, uh, yeah, things were different back in the 80s. I don't think you get away with that now. So Brandy was on her way to being a star, but of course that would soon change. So let's just go ahead and set the scene. Let's jump right into it. On March 23rd, 1986, a couple from Houston, Texas was out fishing at Lake Livingston when they noticed what looked like a bundle of clothes floating on top of the water. Curious, they went to investigate, but soon made a horrifying discovery. The body of a young woman was wrapped inside the fabric, and even though she was badly decomposed, it was clear she had suffered a violent death. Police soon discovered that the body belonged to 20-year-old Patrice LeBlanc, who had gone missing 19 days earlier. She was found wrapped in a handmade quilt, which was then wrapped in a pink comforter, before being before both were sewed together to keep them from unwrapping. They were also tied together with two pairs of pantyhose and the sash from a robe before a pillowcase was placed on one end and a duffel bag on the other end. Patrice was then had she then had two cinder blocks tied to her in order to weigh her down in the water. So it was very obvious from the get-go that someone did not want her to be found. That takes a lot of time to sew together a like death shroud oh maybe not if you're a drag queen who sews her own gowns hint hint patrice had been slashed all over her body and stabbed 39 times with many of them to her throat and her stomach one stab wound was so vicious that it nearly completely severed her ear off she also had deep gashes on her hands suggesting that she attempted to fight back and at one point grabbed the knife with her bare hands. And that just the thought of that is painful to think about. 
killing someone with a knife is a very personal thing too. It's not like shooting somebody across the room from a gun, especially if you're stabbing them that many times and that viciously. Oh yeah. So, I mean, of course, police, that's another thing is stabbing is a very personal way because you have to get right up close to somebody. And so police were already having their theories about who did this. Now, three stab wounds were isolated as being the potential death blow, but police believe that it was a two and a half inch wide stab that completely severed her jugular vein that ended up killing Patrice. So, of course, it was obvious there was a lot of rage and anger behind her death, and police wanted to talk to any and all of her known associates, but mainly her boyfriend, 32-year-old Cliff Ewans. Now, Cliff was already very well known amongst the gay community of Houston, as he was better known by his stage name, Brandy West, because he was a drag queen. Now, as Brandy, Cliff performed all around the Houston area and had made a pretty big name for himself over the years for how outrageous and oftentimes outright cruel he could be when performing. So on April 2nd, police brought Cliff in for a formal interview, and he was pretty open. You know, he said uh, he'd last seen Patrice in early March, a few days after the two had returned from spending the weekend at Cliff's parents' lake house on Lake Livingston, you know, where her body was found. Now, Cliff stated that Patrice just announced one day that she needed some space and time to think about things before walking out of their apartment and disappearing. Now, of course, police let Cliff go because they didn't really have much to hold him on at that point. And so they started to interview Patrice's other known associates. But on April 3rd, Cliff failed to appear for his scheduled show at the Copa Club in Houston, where he was a member of the regular cast of Queens. And by April 13th, Cliff was still nowhere to be found and was soon reported missing, leaving the police with two mysteries to solve now. Who killed Patrice and where the hell is Cliff? That doesn't make his innocence seem uh, so... Innocent. Innocent. (laughs) (laughs) So let's rewind and figure out how we got to this point. We'll start with Cliff, a.k.a. Brandy West. So John Clifford Ewand was born in Houston, Texas on May 22nd, 1954. He was the youngest of three children, and he grew up in a pretty affluent neighborhood. His family was well off. His father was a regional director of a large corporation. So he, um, he didn't want for anything. Cliff would later state that his first experience with drag actually came when he was nine, and one of his older sisters dressed him up as a girl for Halloween. Now, Cliff was very close to his sister, and was devastated when she died that same year in a car accident at the age of 15. So he said that was a memory that deeply affected him, but also it left him with his first experiment with drag. Now, Cliff would also later state that he looked just like his sister whenever he was in full drag makeup. Now, from a young age, Cliff had a passion for theater and dreamed of appearing on Broadway. So by the time he was in high school, he had joined the drama club and began performing in the school plays. And it was around this time that Cliff began to realize that he was attracted to both boys and girls. So by his late teens, he was began frequenting several bars in the, Mon- the Montrose area of Houston, which at the time was home to a lot of gay bars. Guess how many? I just want you to take a gander at how many. Six. There were 25 gay bars in this area at the time, which is insane to think about because I can't even think of one place, say from, you know, maybe New York or San Francisco that has that many in one area. Wow. Especially back in the 1980s. I mean, I know where like the area we live, there's like two. So, you know, it was a business was popping. Now, by his junior year of high school, Cliff came out to his parents as bisexual. His mom was eventually accepting of it, but his father 
never really came around to the idea, which even that was pretty bold back then in the 80s to feel confident enough to come out like that. And he began working as an understudy in a production of the play, The Boys in the Band, which I love The Boys in the Band. It was during a dress rehearsal for the play that Cliff rummaged through the wardrobe and props and put together an outfit before putting on his best impersonation of Carol Channing for everyone to see. Uh, Everyone loved it. He got a good reception from it. So somebody then dared him to fully dress as Carol Channing and attend the opening night of the play. And so he said, bet, which he did. And then from... That point on, he said it just kind of snowballed. Now, eventually, he was ready to begin performing in clubs, as according to him, it was quick money, and he enjoyed putting on a mask and performing as someone else. As Cliff, he was plain and boring, but as Brandy, he was beautiful and breathtaking. So Cliff actually chose the stage name Brandy West, saying you gotta have a catchy first name and a simple last name. For months, four months before he was supposed to graduate from high school, Cliff stole his parents' credit card, hopped on a plane to New York to pursue his dream in Broadway. So that was one way to go about it. To support himself, Cliff worked as a go-go boy in several gay clubs while auditioning for various plays. But he was soon unable to support himself and was forced to move back to Houston after just four months. You know, it probably had something to do with his parents being, you know, cutting him off probably. Yeah, turning off those credit cards if they were smart. Now, back home, Cliff worked in several different theaters and plays while performing in drag as Brandy at nights across several clubs in Montrose. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. His main performances are to songs by Cher and Barbara Streisand. Now, Cliff made sure Brandy West stood out amongst the sea of female impersonators because back then, most of them, they did their best to look like Cher or Diana Ross or Barbara Streisand. It was more focused on impersonation the actual female impersonation of trying to be as close to an iconic female figure as you could be but now cliff made sure that brandy was her own person her own persona and she described it as she was a comedian crossed between joan rivers and don rickle but now in his journey to make sure he stood out cliff would soon garner a reputation for just how cruel he could be on stage and in the dressing rooms with many of his fellow performers stating he seemed to almost have a split personality that could literally flip at the drop of a hat. Cliff was well known for his pranks, as he liked to call them, on the other queens, such as putting the sound of a flushing toilet in the middle of their lip sync, or loosening the seam of a dress just enough so that it was split wide open when the queen was on stage. Which I'm shocked that he never got his ass beat for that. (laughs) That sounds more like sabotage than a prank. Yeah, And you're fucking with people's livelihoods there, so... But now, he always said it was just a joke, and it was all part of the act. But one performer that used to work with him said someone would always go home hurt or crying after his shows. Now, throughout the early years of his drag career, Cliff would go on on and off female growth hormones several times. Pretty soon, his beard began to leave, and he began to grow breasts. Several times he thought of undergoing bottom surgery, but always said he preferred having sex as a boy, and so he never went through with it. And that's another thing, too. I don't want to... He's not... He didn't identify as trans or anything like that. He started it, then he went off of it, and he did that for several years. But by the end of it, he identified as a boy, so that's what I'm referring to him throughout this. By 1974, Cliff had once again gone to New York in an attempt to make it big on Broadway... But of course, found little success. 
he once again returned to Houston, but this time he came back with a shaved chin, cheek injections, and a nose job to make him look more feminine. And of course, you know, when I say shaved chin, I don't mean like he shaved his beard. It's literally sanded down his chin to make it less prominent. So he also began auditioning at many local theaters as a woman whom he called K.T. West, a successful Broadway actress from New York who decided, you know, you know, fuck Broadway. I'm going to go make it big in the community theater of Houston. Now, as KT, Cliff actually found some success and was cast in several plays. His biggest role came in the form of a supporting lead for Women Behind Bars, which was based on the 1975 exploitation film of the same name, which, random side note, we actually did a short film a couple of years ago based off that movie, but instead of women, we replaced it with gay bears. Called Hot Rods. Hot Rods. Now, after the play opened, KT's performances were praised by some, but many behind the camera hated hated her as she frequently ad-libbed, went off script, and always attempted to steal the show from everyone else. This included during one rehearsal for a fight in the play when KT was supposed to pretend to slap another actress, but instead he punched her square in the face, nearly breaking her nose. When confronted about this, KT said it wasn't him who hit her, it was Brandy. Now, eventually, Cliff was discovered to be K- KT, but that didn't stop him from keeping up the charade. A former friend of Cliff's would later say how it was like talking to three different people, depending on which persona Cliff put on that day. If he was KT, he was cool and he was fun to be around, but if he was Cliff or Brandy, she would actively avoid him as he was always unpleasant and bitchy. Now, like I said before, there's 25 gay clubs in this area, and most are popping up in the surrounding area every passing year. So this gave Cliff and his friends plenty of gigs and opportunities to branch out and perform in front of large crowds. Cliff's behavior as Brandy only continued to get worse as his popularity grew. A former friend of Cliff's and fellow drag queen, Newman Bod, a.k.a. Naomi Sims, would later speak against Brandy's cruelty, saying, Outside of drag, me and Cliff were friends, but on stage as Brandy, Cliff was something else. He would make me cry and do terrible things to me. My whole shtick is the image. As Naomi, I was a beautiful woman. But Brandy would play practical jokes like ripping my wig off on stage in the middle of a perf- in the middle of a performance. When I would yell at him about it later, he acted as if it was all part of the show. And that's another thing, the amount of disrespect. There's a difference between a joke and just being outright sabotaging and an asshole. Again, it's like he's sabotaging, like he's got to be the center of attention, so why not make everybody else look bad? And again, I'm surprised he did not get his ass beat from somebody. Because again, a lot of these queens rely on this for a huge source of their income, and you're fucking with it. Now, Naomi would go on to say that everything violent Cliff did, he did it as Brandy. So in February of 1980, Cliff met 20-year-old Jimmy Samuels, And that's actually a fake name as he asked to remain unidentified because he's not out to his parents. So he met Jimmy in a bar called Midnight Sun. Within a week of meeting, Cliff invited Jimmy to move in with him and soon began to isolate Jimmy from his friends, which included making him quit his job and cutting off all contact with his friends. Pretty soon, things turned violent as anytime Jimmy attempted to stand up for himself, Cliff would respond by smacking him across the face. The two were constantly fighting and breaking up, with Jimmy oftentimes running away to escape from Cliff. But Cliff would always find him and convince him to get back together. 
And this actually included at one point even breaking the door down to an apartment to get to Jimmy. So in the five years they were together, Jimmy actually would attempt suicide twice by slashing his wrist. So it was a very toxic relationship. Now, eventually, Jimmy and Cliff would move again to New York, with Cliff supporting them by turning tricks while in drag, which he would always say most of his clients were straight men, and they actually didn't have sex. The straight men would just pay him to allow Cliff to let them try on his drag clothes. So that was a little little interesting side note. I don't believe that. Eh. Mm. Eh. You never know, but... It's probably bullshit. Now, eventually in 1982, the two moved to Provincetown, Massachusetts, where Brandy actually got a job opening up for Waylon Flowers and his puppet, Madam. You know who Madam is, don't you? Yes. The puppet. And I'm sure a lot of people know who Madam is, but I'll, of course, I'll post photos of it on our Instagram. But uh, the two soon became friends, Wayland and Cliff, not Madam. They soon became friends, and Cliff was introduced to cocaine through oh. Waylon and Madam. Oh, boy. Like, things weren't bad enough. Let's introduce this into the mix. And you'll never convince me it wasn't the fucking puppet that got him addicted. <laughs> After that, Cliff and Jimmy moved back to Houston and into a new apartment where Cliff's grandmother gifted him a new handmade quilt. You know, remember that foreshadowing. Now, back home, Cliff was once again a star... With, his perform- with him performing weekly as Brandy at various clubs across Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, and Beaumont, he soon became the leader of a group of drag queens that called themselves the Fabulous Four, which also included Naomi, and who were considered the best of the best of the drag queens in the area. This was a high point for Cliff as his fan base grew and so did his cocaine addiction. So they were kind of like the main girls, you know. Cliff was Regina George, Naomi was probably Gretchen Wieners, and then there was a Katie and a, what was the other one named? Karen. They were probably there too. Plus he's making more money now so he can spend more money on drugs. Coke. And this is when Brandy's behavior really began to grow erratic and out of control. Brandy would often throw potted plants at anyone she considered to be a heckler, asking and... Uh, At one point, she asked the crowd if they liked a new wooden railing the owner of the bar put up. And when they responded no, she said, well, first she said, does everybody else hate this shit as much as I do? And when everyone agreed, yes, they hate it too, that's when she pulled out a chainsaw and destroyed it in front of everybody. And again, probably wouldn't fly today in a club, you know, destroying someone else's property. But at this point, you couldn't tell her nothing. She was on top of the world. She was really big. She was famous. She's got connections to this really famous puppet. So, you know, she was living large. But also, it kind of got out of hand because it included at one point, she shoved a fellow queen who was in a wheelchair out of her chair and off the stage, quoting Betty Davis from Whatever Happened to Baby Jane while she did it. And uh, I found nowhere... In my research where that was a part of a shtick, so it really was a queen that was in a wheelchair that she pushed onto the floor. So, um, yeah, it's getting a little a little crazy in here. Now, his abuse of Jimmy also grew increasingly more extreme, and by 1985, Jimmy fled their apartment while Cliff was out of town performing at a club and was hidden by a friend for several months to keep Cliff away from him. Jimmy eventually moved in with a friend, and it was through that friend that Jimmy became friends with another group of performers that included Naomi Sims 
and two new people who had just recently moved to the Houston area, Stephen Grant and Patrice LeBlanc. Now, Patrice was the only straight member of this group, but she fit right in with the group and she loved the queer club scene. Eventually, by August 1985, Jimmy moved in with Patrice and Stephen. As Jimmy and Patrice grew closer, Jimmy began to tell her all about his life with Cliff Ewens or Brandy West. So now let's talk about Patrice. Patrice LeBlanc was born and grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana. She was the oldest of three children with two younger sisters and came from a very affluent family as her father, George LeBlanc, actually owned an insurance agency. So the family was described as being extremely close-knit with all of them attending church together every Sunday. And Patrice was always, again, kind of like Cliff, she never wanted for anything. She, they made sure, her parents made sure that she never wanted for anything. They always made sure she was happy and she got what she wanted, which included a brand new Cutlass Supreme when she got her driver's license at 15. But even with all of that, Patrice began to struggle the older she got. She eventually dropped out of college after just two semesters, and she got a job at, back home as the cover charge collector at a local club. Now, this job actually allowed Patrice to get to know literally everyone that walked through the door, and soon she began to get quite popular, especially among the men who would often ask her out on dates. And of course, I'll post photos on her Instagram, but she is beautiful. But she would always say no. Eventually, she began good friends with the owner of the club and his girlfriend, and soon the trio would make often make the rounds to the three different clubs the guy owned, and that included a local gay bar called Pharaoh's. That's another thing, too. There's a, I always love the 80s club names. They're always a lot more like witty and creative. Now, eventually, Patrice began to out... I'm sorry. It was during the club's Wednesday night drag show that Patrice became mesmerized, as she would later say, by the drag queens she saw performing on stage. After one of the shows, Patrice approached Naomi Sims and spent several hours asking him a shitload of questions, like, where do you put your junk when you're performing? Or, do you really want to be a woman? So, of course, you know, a lot of those questions can be very personal and invasive, but Naomi took it in stride, and she could tell that Patrice meant no harm by it. She really was just fascinated by something she'd never seen before. So the girl was transfixed and fascinated by drag queens and soon began to form a close bond with several in the area, and the group would spend their days partying at the clubs. Now, eventually, Patrice began to outgrow her small Louisiana town, and she was ready for a change of scenery, and that meant packing up her bags and traveling to Houston. After several months of saving up all her money, she managed to convince a friend of hers named Stephen Grant to move with her, and on June 7, 1985, the two friends packed their bags and moved to Houston. Now, it wasn't long after moving to Houston that Patrice met and befriended Jimmy. By this point, Jimmy and Cliff had actually become cordial with one another, and they began to speak as friends. Jimmy eventually introduced Cliff to his new friend Patrice, and the trio would begin hanging out and drinking at the local clubs together. Not long after meeting Patrice... Went to the not long after meeting, Patrice went to the Miss Gay Arkansas pageant where Brandy West was emceeing. There, Brandy invited Patrice backstage to paint her nails for him, and after the show, he invited her back to his hotel room where the two did some coke before falling asleep while cuddling. Now, Cliff would later state that night that he actually laid awake for over an hour just watching Patrice sleep and marveling at how beautiful she was, and that's normally a very romantic gesture or sweet thing for someone to say, but in this case, because you know the outcome of it, it's uh, 
really fucking creepy. Now, after a few months, Stephen and Jimmy moved out of Patrice's apartment, and she invited Cliff to spend the night a couple of times. The two continued their platonic cuddling until one night they shared a kiss, and things just started from there. Cliff said that Patrice was the first person to make him realize sex isn't just about power and that it could be pleasurable. After that night, Cliff asked Patrice to move in with him. Now, it would be four months before Patrice made her relationship with Cliff known, and although several friends attempted to warn her that she might regret it, Patrice was determined to push through it. After the relationship was public, the couple would continue their takeover of the, the nightlife scene, with Brandy performing on stage and Patrice mingling and having fun in the crowd. Now, Cliff began to give Patrice a weekly allowance, and the two would spend their time gossiping, gossiping, gossiping like two schoolgirls, you know, like girlfriends. Now, in November 1985, Cliff and Patrice took a trip to Cancun, which, side note, was also a trip that Cliff always promised to take Jimmy on. But before they left, Patrice dyed Cliff's hair back to its normal color and bought him several more boy outfits, as Cliff would later say that Patrice admitted to him that she hated seeing him in drag off the stage. And oftentimes after performance, she would rush backstage and immediately would help him get out of drag as fast as possible. So after the trip to Cancun, Patrice bragged to her family how amazing her life was in Houston. Even though she only had a brief job in the five months she had been in Houston, she lied and told her family she was working as a travel agency. So you can see, already see the, the cracks starting to form here. Now, by December 1985, Patrice began to suffer from morning sickness and became torn about whether she wanted to keep the baby or get an abortion. Now, Cliff himself said that he was excited about the baby and he wanted to be a father. It was around this time that Patrice's friend began to notice a change in her. The once fiercely independent and strong-willed girl was now acting more anxious and seemed to constantly feel the need to check in with Cliff before she did or went anywhere. I would say he had some part of that just because of what he had done to his previous person being very controlling and everything oh yeah yeah you can see she's starting to that change and that's a lot that happens a lot in those types of abusive relationships you'll see that one partner that is being abused start to withdraw more and more but now of course cliff also began attempting to cut patrice off from her friends but mainly her friendship with jimmy if she saw jimmy then cliff wouldn't kiss her for two days and became cold and distant from her so that's another thing, make them feel guilty and try to shame them into stopping. And withholding affection with, as a punishment, mm -hmm, with red flag. Affection. So in public, Patrice would get angry at Cliff if he attempted to act like they were anything more than friends. And in turn, he used that as an excuse to ban her friends from their apartment. So there was kind of this weird thing, like sometimes she would be like, yes, we're together, you know, I'm pregnant. And then other times she would hate she would get angry at him if he acted like they were together so it was just an interesting relationship dynamic now that christmas patrice actually spent the holiday with cliff and his parents who were over the moon and frankly excited at the fact that their son was a with a woman and b seemed to genuinely be happy with her but of course things began to grow worse as patrice confided in her friends that she wanted to leave cliff but at the same time, she didn't want to hurt him, and Cliff would go and Cliff would get irrationally angry anytime he saw a man flirting with Patrice at the bars. But again, they're going mainly to 
gay bars. So, yeah. But it's another one of those uh, abuse tactics. In one incident, Cliff in full drag as Brandy West spotted Patrice dancing with another man on the dance floor, went over to them, got into a fight with the guy before ejecting him from the club in full drag. Both Cliff and Patrice began to rely heavily on drugs to cope with their feelings, Cliff using cocaine and Patrice using ecstasy. But in a shocking twist literally nobody saw coming, during the last weekend of December 1985 at a club called The Old Plantation, which that is a choice of a name, in front of a crowd of almost a thousand people, Brandy announced her retirement from drag and then got on the stage before ripping her wig off, stating, I'm in love. He then invited Patrice up on stage where he introduced her and announced the two were going to get married. So that's another thing that completely blindsided Patrice too, as well as the onlookers. And I think that's another abuse tactic because you're like, they're not going to say no if there's people around watching them. Now, this came completely out of left field for everyone, including Patrice, but this did little to curb her anxiety as during an incident at one of Cliff's last scheduled appearances as Brandy, he was the MC at a male strip contest. Brandy caught Patrice and a friend of hers talking to one of the strippers. Patrice told the stripper to quickly walk away before whispering to her friend, please don't leave me. I'm afraid Cliff might cause a scene or hit me. Now, Cliff proceeded to yank Patrice by her arm and yell in her face, how could you do this to me? So now it's starting to spill out into public and he's just manhandling her any way he wants. By the end of January, Patrice had Cliff take her to an abortion clinic where she got an abortion and told Cliff she was not ready to settle down yet. By February, Patrice took Cliff home to meet her parents, where the two lied about Cliff's line of work. Then they said that he was a banker like his dad. Patrice actually seemed to like this guy, and her parents actually told Cliff, you're the first guy that Patrice has brought home that she seems to genuinely care for. Now, by the end of February, Patrice was again confiding in friends how she wanted to leave Cliff, but said that she couldn't due to how hard she said Cliff was trying to be good for her. The, two relation, the two's relationship was still on the rocks, and eventually a friend of Patrice's saw her, out, saw her out at a new gay club, and she seemed in high spirits as she announced she was planning to leave Houston, but wasn't sure if she wanted to move back home to Louisiana or tried to live in Chicago. When she told Cliff she wanted to leave him, he began to argue with her. So I think at this point, she's starting to make up her mind that she's actually going to leave him now. This leads us to Tuesday, March 4th. Patrice phoned her friend, Naomi Sims, and said that she was bored. So he suggested that she come out and watch him perform at a club along with his friend, Josh Taylor. That night, Patrice went to heaven which was the name of the club Naomi was performing at. She asked if Cliff could come along too, and Josh reluctantly agreed, even though he hated Cliff. Not long after arriving, Patrice asked Josh if he would watch Cliff for her and to make sure he was happy before she slipped off into the club's dance floor. Now, Josh would later say the entire time she was out there that Cliff never once took his eyes off of her. Backstage, Patrice told Naomi, Cliff's being a real bitch tonight. Patrice, Cliff, and Josh left the club around 1 a.m. They dropped Josh off at his apartment, and he would be the last person to see Patrice alive. Now, police believe that night that Cliff attacked Patrice in a fit of rage and stabbed her to death. Later on, a neighbor of the couple would actually tell a reporter that he heard her shouting that night. And when they asked him to specify if he meant Patrice, he said, No, Brandy. She sounded very angry. After he murdered her, 
Cliff proceeded to wrap her body in his grandmother's quilt, followed by Patrice's own comforter. Afterwards, he drove her body out to his parents' lake house on Lake Livingston, weighed her body down in the middle of the lake with two cinder blocks he had found by the dumpster of his apartment. He then drove Patrice's car and left it abandoned at an airport where it was discovered on April 10th. And that leads us back to where we began. 19 days after Patrice's murder, her body would resurface and be found by a couple fishing. Police quickly identified her and began to question her known associates, starting with her boyfriend, Cliff Ewans, a.k.a. the drag queen Brandy West. After he was questioned, Cliff himself disappeared and has yet to be found. Like, still? Yeah, he's not found yet. No, 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 that's not the end of it. He's he's found. The story's not over. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> he, he's found a couple months later. I mean, at this point in the story, he's not found. Sorry. It was soon discovered that Cliff pawned off all of his and her jewelry, painted his apartment, and put in new carpet before tossing the rest of Patrice's stuff in the trash. When friends began to question Cliff on where Patrice was, he would constantly make up excuses like she was at the store or she was at her aunt's house. He also put on a show in Beaumont as Brandy West just three days after Patrice went missing. A friend who was at the show said that Brandy seemed happy and content for the first time in a long time. Now, by the middle of March, Cliff told Jimmy that Patrice had disappeared before the two began having sex again on a regular basis. When Jimmy asked Cliff what would Patrice do when she came back and caught them together, Cliff responded, I don't think Patrice is coming back. Jimmy didn't think, of course, he didn't think much of it at the time but did find it strange how Cliff didn't cry at all when Patrice left, even though he cried multiple times when Jimmy left. And so he always said, Cliff always said he was a relationship man. He was very passionate and stuff like that. And so Jimmy did find it weird how cold he was being after Patrice left. So now just a week after Patrice went missing, it was around this time Patrice's parents reported her missing and sent a private investigator to Houston to look for her. Just a week after the investigate. Just a week after the investigator arrived, Patrice's body would be found. When a friend phoned Cliff to let him know she had been murdered, Cliff simply whispered to her, Oh my God, what will I do now? So, uh, I think it was less to do with the, Oh, what am I going to do without her? And more to do with the, Oh shit, I wasn't expecting her to be found. Now, after he was questioned, Cliff fled first to New York, again, where he told his friends there that his pregnant wife had been murdered. After that, he flew to California to stay with Waylon Flowers and Madam, that fucking puppet again. In April, he wrote a friend to tell him that he was in hiding until he could get a good attorney or until the police solved the murder. He also wrote a letter to a local paper in Houston addressed to Brandy's fans and told them he was innocent, saying, I'm capable of a lot of things, but certainly not murder. Now, by May, Cliff came back to Houston where he hid in his parents' house. Police received a tip from someone who recognized Cliff as a perform at a performance at a local music hall, and on May 15th, the police busted down the door to his parents' home, armed with shotguns, and they found Cliff hiding under a sheet in the bathroom clothes hamper. <laughs> he was officially arrested and charged with Patrice LeBlanc's murder. Now, at Cliff's trial, prosecutors used several drops of blood found in Cliff and Patrice's apartment as well as blood found on the boots Cliff wore to the club Heaven that night as evidence. However, they also noted that they weren't able to get Patrice's blood type because she had so little blood left in her body after the stabbing. Police also entered the quilt she was found wrapped in into evidence as it belonged to Cliff and brought a witness to testify how Patrice was planning to leave Cliff shortly before the murder. In his defense, 
Cliff offered no witnesses or really any defense at all, simply stating that he had nothing to prove as he didn't do it. So instead of trying to prove your innocence, it's just like, you know, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Now the trial began on September 8th and by September 11th, 1986, the jury reached a verdict in just 45 minutes. But now it would later be revealed that 30 of those were spent eating lunch. So, you know, that's not, that doesn't bode well. And can you guess what his he was found guilty of? Murder. Cliff Ewens was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Now, even from behind bars, and it was around this time, of course, 1986, the gay nightlife scene was starting to die because this was right in the middle of the HIV-AIDS crisis. And so this was really the fall, downfall of the, the height of the gay clubs. From behind bars, Cliff made sure to do his best to keep Brandy West alive as long as he could, often writing into several local gay magazines with updates on his life, which, what life are you fucking doing behind prison? One such letter read as, Brandy West here, checking in to let you know that I'm alive and well, I'm still appearing in my open-ended role in Women Behind Bars here at the Texas Department of Corrections, which that's, um, I don't know what to call that. I worked in the hospital. I work in the hospital and I enjoy my job. I've gotten used to the groans of the inmates when they hear me walk in for my shift. I'm sure they'd rather have an enema bag than see the nasty smile on my face as I whistle down the hall and scream, party time, boys. Nurse Ratchet is here. You can't mess around in here, and even masturbation is against the rules. Can you imagine me holding in an orgasm for an entire life sentence? Cliff would continue to hold his innocence throughout the years, telling one reporter, I love Patrice. The love between a man and a woman is different than between two men. With two men, it's more sexual. Patrice did love me, but not as much as I loved her. Which I don't really agree with, but... That's his opinion. Now, eventually, however, in later years, by 2015, Cliff seemed to have a change of heart. And during an interview he did for the investigation discovery show called Facing Evil, Cliff actually admitted to reporter Candace DeLong that, yes, he was responsible for Patrice's murder, which is not like it's that big of a surprise. He said, after being down for almost seven years, I started to acknowledge my guilt and began to admit what I'd done to people in here and then to my dad after my mom died. I acted on my own. Nobody else knew about what happened. There wasn't justification for it. I just lost control. Drugs were not involved, and I was not high save for a little value. Coke and grass. Just an argument gone bad. Totally my fault. Not a day goes by that I'm not filled with remorse. Now, Cliff also wanted to clear the air and say that he was not Brandy the night that he killed Patrice, saying, I am not Sybil. Which, do you know, Sybil, they made a movie about it, the woman with multiple personality disorder. And so he said, I am not Sybil or Three Faces of Eve. I was an actor. KT and Brandy were no different than any of the other roles I played on stage. Just well-thought-out characters that I had created. But I was always Cliff at the heart of it. If no one else knew, I knew. I may have looked different, but I was always Cliff. Cliff is still incarcerated and has appealed his case several times, all of which have been denied. And with that, that is the story of the rise and fall of Brandy West, the drag queen turned murderer. So um, I think this case was uh, pretty interesting, not only due to the unique relationship between Cliff and Patrice, but also because it kind of highlights 
an aspect of queer culture I don't think gets talked about enough, and that is domestic abuse and relationship abuse within queer couples. And so I think this case really highlights just how people in the LGBTQIA plus communities can suffer the same type of relationship abuse problems as people in a straight relationship. So uh, what do you think? I think uh, he was an egomaniac and uh, a murderer. Like, so I have no, uh, I, I will say, you know, yeah, it was a drag queen, but that just goes to show that any profession, you know, you can have murderers and everything in it, and it has nothing to do with their profession. It's like uh, you can have a softball player or you can have a mechanic that's a murderer, but it has nothing to do with their profession. So I'm just saying this because there's so much going on now with like looking for every excuse to make a drag queen a bad person. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to go ahead and say this is a story about a drag queen that happened to be a murderer, not a murdering drag queen. Yeah, no. And so they actually called that in the the media when this they call it the drag queen murder. And they also call it the drag queen queen killer and i'm like that's kind of confusing because it makes it sound like one that a drag queen was the one that was murdered and two if you call it the drag queen killer it sounds like it was a serial killer of drag queens but it was a killer drag queen and yeah i mean i agree it's not saying that all drag queens are murderers but it is showing that like you can literally look up any profession or anything and you will find a murder case related to that profession. I was actually looking up one the other. I was like snowboarding, true crime, because we just went snowboarding, and like three popped up related to snowboarding. And so I was like, you literally can. It can be any profession, anyone, and so it's just a interesting and unique situation within the community. So with that, we shall see you back next week for an all new episode. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, please leave us a five-star rating or a review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever it is you listen to us on. It helps us out so much, and we greatly appreciate it. And if you want to see photos from this case or reach out and talk to us, you can follow us on Instagram at beerswithqueerspod, P-O-D, or on Facebook at beerswithqueers, a true crime podcast. So until then, until next time, Stay dangerous out there, my friends, and we shall see you back next week. See you next week. Bye.